We're going to be back in John 15. John 15, and picking up where we left off in verse 9. I'm going to pray for the Lord's help in our time now in his word. Let's pray. Lord, we confess what we just sang. We confess it again, that life comes through you. All life is found in you. And Jesus Christ, we thank you for the opportunity to live in you, united to the triune God, to you, Father, to you, Son, to you, Spirit. We understand that more than we would want that life, more than our souls would long and thirst for it, you and your grace and your mercy even more desire to give it. We thank you for your abundant love and never-ending life that is found in your name. We pray you would lead, it to, lead us to it again. In your word, in Jesus' name, amen. John 15 Verse 9 through 11. I'm going to read that. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you, that my joy may be in you. And that your joy may be full. We are invited in this passage to live in the joy of Jesus. Verse 11, it's right there. We can have Jesus' life and we can live Jesus' life. Jesus is, as it were, speaking to his disciples and through this conversation, speaking to us, saying, I'm telling you this. I'm telling you this because contained in these words is what you need to to have the experience of Jesus Christ in your being and to be able to increase in that experience over the course of your life. I hope you are excited about that prospect. Whether or not you're joyful tonight or you're coming into this room extremely discouraged. I pray that the words of Jesus grip you and me. There's an invitation to live in the joy of Jesus. Now if you don't want that, No matter how good your life might seem today, God says you should be concerned that your heart is dead to what really matters. If there's anything that you would trade for what Jesus is offering, I tell you in love, you're terribly deceived. You cannot live life better or fuller or more significantly or more satisfyingly than Jesus. Jesus is inviting us to live in his joy and tells us how that happens. It happens in two significant ways given to us in this passage. First, we get Jesus' life. And then second, we live Jesus' life. That's going to be where I'm going in this time. We get his life And we live his life. Look at the passage. And notice 
that Jesus frames the whole conversation here in this section I've chosen. He frames the whole conversation around his life with the Father at the beginning and the end. So in verse 9, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. And then look down at the end of verse 10. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So he's, he's framing this conversation around life with his Father. Jesus is describing to his disciples his life with his Father under two big headings. His life with the Father is in receiving love from the Father. And it is in returning love to the Father in his obedience. This is the eternal life that Jesus lives. If you could peer into the engine room of the Trinity, this would be the operation that you would see. Love being perfectly given, perfectly received, perfectly returned. This is how Jesus defines his life receiving love from his father, returning love in obedience to the father. This is what Jesus understands it means to abide in love, to abide in life. Jesus not only is defining his life, he's describing the experience of living that life, and the word that he uses is joy. Joy has a lot of different manifestations. Sometimes it can look like peace, Other times it can look like patience. Other times happiness. But joy itself is a position of the heart when a person is completely and totally content and satisfied in life with God. If you read into chapter 16 and up until verse 20, Jesus will say there that joy is the opposite of sorrow. And joy is like the experience of a mother as she holds her newborn baby. So Jesus has surrounded his conversation here with this description of his life. And in between, he says, live in this with me. Live with me like I live with my father, receiving my love, returning love to me with your obedience, and remain there. Think about how long Jesus had been living this way when he said this to his disciples. Eternally. Think about what existed before anything else. It was this relationship operating this way. So if the ozone tomorrow blew wide open and all the nuclear bombs went off and climate change if you believe in that melted all the glaciers and flooded the world and there was nothing left of any of it this life in the holy trinity would remain same as it ever was before the world began jesus could not offer anything greater than what is held out to us here Jesus is offering us to participate in what is eternally real. If the world can pass away, but this will remain, then this is the reality. The thing God calls life 
Big letters, L-I-F-E, is not defined by physical things or physical years or physical organisms. It is the experience of a spiritual relationship with the Trinity. To experience joy in Jesus is to know what life is, what it's like, what it does in your soul to be on the receiving end of a perfectly blessed love, to know what it is, to know what it feels like, to know what it means to respond back in that love. What is motivating this incredible invitation from Jesus to me and to you? The motivation is for you to have what the Trinity has. Love is God sharing his life with you. 1 John 4 verse 9, In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. I believe... And you can differ with me if you want to. That's okay. I believe this is the love and the motivation that moved the Trinity to create everything, and especially mankind. He wants to share his reality, his life with you. I realize Jesus is speaking these words just days before his death a death he is purposefully walking toward and submitting to, though he didn't have to. He allowed himself to be hung on a cross, to have his human life snuffed out. But then three days later, the same Jesus, fully man and fully God, rose from death, walked out of the tomb where he had been laid. He laid down his life, but he took it back up again. So the cross is not a symbolic gesture. It is not merely a demonstration of just how far Jesus will go to prove he loves us. The the resurrection is not some vague, bright, iconic moment for us to find hope in in dark times. These actions are the pivotal moments in God's whole plan when Jesus says, Here, here is my life. It is the life that I carry to you from the Trinity. Here it is for you. You can have it because I washed you and I made you holy. You can be here to take it because I died for you. You can forget about the sins that barred you before I left those condemned in me in the grave. Now you can rise from that death and you can live my life in you. My life being lived in you through me. By offering his life to Jesus, Jesus is telling us what is possible for us. Read the Gospels and see Jesus' calm and his steadiness, his wisdom and his confidence, his compassion and his righteous anger, his sacrifice and his love for hurting people. That is all the fruit of Jesus' life. That's what came out of him because he had received his father's love and returned love to his father. Jesus is telling us that there is a way for us to enjoy union and fellowship with God in the depths of our being just like he did. He is offering that to all of us. It's an invitation. 
Why did Jesus come to earth? You know what John 10.10 says? I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So let me ask you, is that your experience of the Christian life? I find as I look back on 20 years as a Christian, I have somehow twisted Jesus' words at many times and have acted like I heard him say, I came, Philip, so that you may have partial life and I give it sparingly. Sometimes the way we linger in sin as long as we do or how we talk more about sin than our Savior makes it seem like we think Jesus offered us a way to enjoy life with him later, but not yet. Like for some reason, Jesus could only give us a glimpse of the Trinitarian relationship, but we're just going to have to wait until heaven to really live in it. I grew up here, I grew up in other churches around strong biblical belief and teaching, much like you still hold to here. My experience is nearly 40 years of listening to people open the Bible and champion truth in its pages. As a consequence, I know a lot about why Jesus had to die, and you probably do too. Why the cross is so important for my sin, and I never want to stop praising Jesus for that. But if you'd ask me what my experience of Jesus' resurrection life has been as a Christian, I think for a long time I would fumble for an answer. I've sat in many conversations with Christians who are recalling their testimonies, and they too have confessed the wonderful story of a Savior crucified for sinners. And yet so often the resurrection of Jesus is left out of the scene. Because they've been taught more about Jesus' death than his life. I don't know why this has happened. But a narrow view of our human struggle with sin has become what many Christians think is life in Jesus in this world. Did Jesus come to tell us that in order to enjoy his life we need to fixate on our sin? Did Jesus ever encourage anyone to dwell on their sin? No. He said, fix your eyes on him, the solution and savior for our sin. Living in sin or acting like sin is just part of life here on earth is not life. Sin is not part of Jesus' life with the Father. Sin was an aberration of God's perfect world. You know why Jesus took it upon himself to come and be acquainted with our sin and our broken world? So that he could get us out of it. So the only thing preventing us from fully living Jesus' life, I'm not saying sinlessly. I'm not saying that. Don't misunderstand me. But the only thing from preventing us from from taking the invitation that's here, from living Jesus' life, I think is our ignorance or, or and our unwillingness. There's no more gift left to give. The whole thing has been offered on the cross. It all came out of the tomb. 
It's carried to our ears and our hearts today through his word. And the life of Jesus will come into you by the spirit of God. Your weakness is not the problem because God says he supplies his power to the weak. It's our ignorance and our unwillingness. But let me tell you, if you were ignorant before today, praise God, you're not ignorant now. Because he's telling us about his life and he's inviting us into it. He is kindly giving us his life. If anyone remains in sin after hearing Jesus gives us life, we must admit that we are simply unwilling to receive the life he gives. I hope and pray that nobody here in this room or hearing my voice through technology makes that dreadful choice. At the invitation of Jesus who lives and gives life, we should all come and receive it and live with him. Jesus gives us his life. That is the beginning of the path to joy. And as the gift is transferred from him to us, we see the second point on the path to Jesus' joy. He gives his life, and secondly, we live Jesus' life. Jesus' life becomes our life. As I reread the text, again, 9 through 11, see if you can see that happening as I read. As Jesus gives his life, we live his life. See if you can see that here in the text. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments... You will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. So after receiving life from Jesus, there are now two avenues through which we live Jesus' life. That's where I'm going to go now. Two avenues through which we live Jesus' life. We receive his life in faith, and we live his life through obedience. We receive his life in faith, and we live his life through obedience. Start, let, let's start with seeing how we receive his life, Jesus' life in faith. Twice here, Jesus tells his disciples to abide in the love he brings. So he says, abide in my love, present, and then tells them how they will remain and abide in his love into the future. You will abide, he says. The idea is whatever they are to remain in is what they initially received. Jesus' love. From the perspective of the Christian then, Jesus intends us to view our life with him as happening wherever he is. We are not on a journey to get to him. We are on a journey with him. This emphasis on receiving love and remaining in Jesus' love makes sense in light of the vine imagery Jesus has just used. Knowing Jesus is the vine and we are the branches, as branches we put ourselves in the receiving position. And we don't just stay there for a moment like a race car in a pit stop, getting what we need from Jesus and then we're off. No, we stay there because the vine is the only place where we can receive life and return it. Remember, what is Jesus wanting to give us? Joy. 
He wants us to experience his life with him. And notice that this comes as a gift of his love. The joy of Jesus in you when Jesus loves you with the Father's love. This is just one of the many benefits of Christ's saving work. When by his spirit, the risen ascended Jesus brings new life into your dead heart, he comes to live in you and he brings his joy with him. So what do we need to do to have his joy in our hearts? Well, we need only be and remain willing to have and be and be otherwise dead branches, but to be alive because we're connected to him. We need to be only willing to be connected to him. The simple recognition that there's no life but his. A deliberate and intentional turn that you make to stop giving yourself to the defiant attempts you've been making to find life outside of life with God. Faith is like the connection point between the branch and the vine. It is the wholehearted agreement that this and this alone is where life comes from. Faith is a glad welcome to Jesus to unite himself to you in his love and carry you into the relationship with the Trinity. And because it is the access point to real life, you will constantly, Christian, be finding that your faith is under attack. In the Garden of Eden, Satan launched a two-pronged attack against humanity. The first aimed at Adam and Eve's trust that the reality God had set up for life with him was indeed the only true version of life. Satan wanted them to doubt and disbelieve that. And so he tempts them to believe that there is a thing called life that did not require that they believe God's word. He enticed them to disconnect their branch from life with God and attach it to a vine called live in yourself, live by yourself, live for yourself, live under yourself. Satan lured them to believe that they could be like the Trinity, entirely and eternally self-existent, not needing to derive life from God, but generating life within themselves as God's. Sound familiar? How many different whispers have tickled our desires for autonomy this week? How many subtle insinuations that to truly live is to fulfill what we want, not what God wants for us? Our faith is the access point to life with Jesus. And because it is, it's regularly under attack. To receive love from Jesus and to remain in his love, you must believe his definition of life is true life. I want to say that again. To receive love from Jesus and to remain in his love, you must believe that his definition of life is true life. See, there's no life market, no life book marketplace 
where we can go and pick out the version of life that best suits us. It's, it's not an infinite variety of choices on the shelf left for you to decide. This is not like your choice to buy the generic drug over the name brand drug because you essentially, essentially get the same thing, but at a lesser price. There's no shop, there's no shelves, there are no generics. There is one life, and it is only in receiving love and life from Jesus and returning love to Jesus. So we must believe that all other supposed lives are false. And believe it with the same decisive trust we express that when we believe that poison, if consumed, will kill us, so we don't drink poison. Positively, if this is life and this alone, this is the life we want. And we come to Jesus humbly and ask him to give it to us and help us to remain in it. And your decision to trust Jesus will determine whether or not you're connected to the vine. Some of us are here thinking there's joy to be had outside of God. I believed that once. I lived for several years under that delusion. If you're willing to hear me, it's not true. You will not find life in any pursuit outside of God. As long as you believe that, you will not be able either, tragically, to access Jesus' life. Because if you don't believe that Jesus is the only way to life, you will not completely connect yourself to him to receive what only he can give. Sin is the act in which we spiritually disconnect our branch from Jesus' vine and attempt to get life from another vine. Some of us are wanting to live with Jesus, but we have no joy. I know what that's like. Our lives are riddled with anxiety and anger and bitterness and apathy and defensiveness and pride. Confessing Jesus with our mouths and yet living on our own strength. A lack of joy in your life is a sure sign that you need to check what you're believing in. The life that comes from the vine has joy in it. There must be a connection problem in our faith if we aren't gladly depending on Jesus for the life he gives. Now notice Jesus says nothing in this whole conversation about the vine and then the life that comes out of it. He says nothing in here about the size of the branch. So I want to encourage you. Even if you think your faith is small, at many points Jesus actually commends those who, though they know their faith is small, they come and they put their trust, small though it may be, entirely in him. So if you're doing that right now, no matter how big you think that faith is or how small, praise God that you're depending on him where life is. Stay there. It's not how big our branch is that assures us of life with God. It's how powerful the life is that flows into us from Jesus our vine. Faith is part of the way we live Jesus' life. Just as he received love, we receive love. And as we rest in his love and believe and go on believing him for life, our joy increases 
because we see through all that how he does supply. Our prayers come back answered. Our trials demonstrate lessons of his faithfulness. Our troubled circumstances, not even those, affect our peace with him. That's one aspect of living Jesus' life. It's faith. But there's another aspect or avenue by which we live Jesus' life. We, we do receive his life in faith, but we also live his life in obedience. Let me read verse 9 and 10 again. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Right in the middle of Jesus' invitation to experience the joy of life with him in the Trinity, Jesus highlights obedience. And he says our obedience to him is the same obedience that he offers to his Father. And so I relay to you this simple teaching straight from Jesus. Obeying Jesus with the obedience Jesus supplies is life with God. Obeying Jesus with the obedience he supplies is life with God. Think again about the vine life. In a vine, a a substance is carried from the vine into the branch that if you could see it, you would say, there it is. There's where the life is. The life is coming from there, and it's coming into the branch, and it's there. And in the Christian life, that substance visible is called obedience. The Spirit of God through the Son of God brings the power of God into God's people, and that power is the ability to believe for the connection and obey for the ongoing experience of life. If you want to describe the chief activity of the Christian life, you have two key words, faith and obedience. So faith and works, as James tells us, are in fact inseparably bound. Faith accesses life. Obedience is the life accessed in Jesus. So your obedience displays your true faith what you really are believing in. And your disobedience and mine betrays where you've been deceived into seeking life from another vine. You don't hear it sung very often anymore, but this got summarized succinctly in the old hymn, Trust and Obey. When we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, what a glory he sheds on our way. While we do his good will, he abides with us still and with all who will trust and obey. Trust and obey for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Is Jesus' joy what you want? Do you want to agree with his definition of life 
Do you want to connect to his vine by faith? It is not enough to say you'll believe Jesus. It's not even enough to say you want to obey Jesus. All these things you know and I know. We can easily assent to our mind while we sit here and hear a sermon. But what Jesus says tests the genuineness of our words and calls for proof and evidence. In order to confidently say that we are living with Jesus, we must have the life of Jesus in us, and that life is the life Jesus said he had with his Father, obeying and in obeying, remaining. This, as Paul will say, completely removes all boasting in our work for God. Whatever obedience you commit is Christ living in you. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So hear me. Obedience is not the way into life. It's, it's not earning anything apart from Jesus. It is not a kind of obedience that we try to bring to the table on our own. That kind of obedience is not Trinitarian love-motivated obedience. That's self-strength, self-dependence work. So it's not part of real life. Or maybe you're just not wanting to obey at all. Well, the obedience we won't bring is a rejection of life entirely. Obedience, Jesus is saying, is the way of life. In it, we are receiving Jesus and living Jesus' life. And if you keep reading, the fruit of that life on your branch, as we already mentioned last time, will be love. And I trust there are many people in this room who have been obeying Jesus with his life for quite some time. You know what Jesus is talking about. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. He is the way. He is the truth. He, he is the life. So brothers and sisters, as you are obeying, remain in Jesus by continuing to obey. I think Jesus puts obedience at the middle of this conversation because he knows it is what's going to reveal our hearts. And Jesus wants to reveal our hearts so that he can save our hearts and grow our hearts to be more like his. He's after our hearts. So we're not surprised that he goes straight at the heart by talking about the evidence of our heart in obedience. People rise and fall with Jesus based on whether or not they want to follow him in obedience. This is the stumbling block. So let me tell you what the powers of your flesh and the devil's lies would love to achieve in your heart when you hear Jesus say, obey me. The temptation is to respond, it all sounded so good until you started talking about obedience. 
The devil and his lies want you to rapid associate obedience with burden, hardship, legalism, gracelessness, arbitrary rules, and move it on to to conclude that obedience is lifeless. You know why they want you to think that? So that you will die. So that you will believe a lie that there is some eternal version of life outside, offered outside of love from and to God, and by getting you to believe that lie, you will die. Because they would rather you die in that false version of life than they themselves worshipfully bow the knee to the gracious and merciful God who has turned history over and created us out of nothing and worked in patience amidst our rebellion so that he could bring us into the most real life ever lived with him and his son and his spirit for all time. I cannot wait to see Satan and his lies damned to hell. For how he has worked and schemed and spun in his anger and spite against a loving God. So that he could bring souls down with him to hell. I cannot wait for the end of that work. The Spirit of God and the Son of God and the Word of God all invite you and me to see true life so that when you hear the words, obeying God is life, you say yes and amen. 1 John 5, his commands are not burdensome. They are how we learn the way of life. So for any trapped and ensnared sinner here this evening, the testimony of the people of God around you is that we urge you and encourage you to lay hold of is that in Jesus there is power over your sin and your slavery. And in his, and in his spirit, there is all that is required and needed to be raised out of your sin into a life of glad obedience. For the saints here who are walking with the Lord and have been doing it for some time, I imagine you could all tell us something about this joy and obedience. Haven't you found, church, that the joy of Jesus grows in you when we love Jesus with the obedient love he gives? I suppose that's how we could think about sanctification. A life of loving Jesus with the obedient love he gives. And as we do, growing in our joy. Jesus invites us all to have his joy and to have it fill us. It is an invitation to his life, to have his life, to live his life, offered to each and every one of us. There are times when I find that my words can't quite carry the weight of the realities I'm trying to convey. But I trust that even if this sermon and my words did nothing for you, the words of Jesus can. So as we finish, I'm going to read his word in all our hearing. And before I pray, we're going to take a few moments for us to sit in quiet reflection to hear what the Spirit may have to say to us. And then I'll close us. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser.
Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you're clean because of the word that I've spoken spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you. And that your joy may be full. Let's think on this for a moment and then I'll close us in prayer. Father, Son, and Spirit, we praise you and thank you that you made this choice, this gracious choice, to invite us into your life. We thank you that we who are in Christ have already tasted of it, have already begun to know it. We know we will know it more fully as we are fully known. But Lord, how good it is to live in your ways even today. To have your joy today. To have a desire and a yearning not to run from you, but to obey you today. All this, all this from Jesus his life in us. What grace, what mercy, what kindness. We pray through Jesus as he speaks in this passage and as we've heard him speak, we pray you would speak to each of us. Teach us, Lord, full obedience, holy reverence, true humility. Test our hearts, test our thoughts, test our attitudes in the radiance of your purity and your holiness that we may rise and look to Jesus and willingly and gladly receive the life he gives and walk in his life. We pray in his name. Amen.